The text for the sermon this day is taken from John 20, which was read earlier and which will be woven throughout the message. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So the disciples have locked themselves away in this room. And before, and I should mention just as a quick note, um, open up your hymnal to three, page 321. I'm going to come to that in a little bit later. But they're locked in this room because they are afraid of the Jews. Because they know the news has spread that the body is missing. And what's more, the, the, the Sadducees, the high priests, have spread the message that the disciples had stolen the body. So the disciples have locked themselves away, afraid. So the doors are locked, and all of a sudden, while they're in that room, all of a sudden, right in the midst of them, poof! There's Jesus, right in the middle of them. Now, John Calvin, if you're not familiar with him, John Calvin is kind of the Martin Luther to the Reformed and the Presbyterians. He, are, he, was a, he had troubles rationalizing much of Scripture. and he had, to, he had this idea that everything logically had to be explained. So, for example, in the Lord's Supper, he'd argue there's no way that Jesus can be on every altar around the world and still be at the right hand of God. Another example is when Jesus walked on water, um, Calvin argued that Jesus changed the water in order to walk on it. And so here, John Calvin could not accept that Jesus just appeared in the middle of the room, so he argued that Jesus crawled in through a window. The problem is the text doesn't mention anything about a window. And the other thing is, do you think that if they were making sure every door was locked, they would have overlooked a window that the Jews could easily crawl through? No, the Jews, the, the disciples weren't stupid. They would have made sure the windows were closed too. So rather, Jesus showed up right in the middle of the room. And when you consider the last time they saw Jesus, he was dead, their first thought would be that they are looking at a ghost. And so Jesus says these words, peace be with you. Words to calm their frightened hearts. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. In the, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus explicitly says, see, me, see that a ghost does not have flesh and bones or flesh and blood as you see that I have. And he even ate a piece of fish right in front of them to let them know that he is not a ghost. Because if he was, the fish would have just dropped to the ground and he couldn't grab at it. Then the disciples were glad and they, when they saw the Lord, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Almost as if Jesus was anticipating their thoughts. Because in the last few days, the disciples have not exactly been on the best behavior. At the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus told them to keep watch and pray, 
They didn't. They kept falling asleep. When Judas came with a battalion of soldiers, Peter sliced the ear off of Malchus. And all the disciples eventually would flee and abandon Jesus. When Jesus was on trial, the disciple, Peter was outside denying that he ever knew who Jesus was. When Jesus fell and was unable to carry his own cross, it wasn't the disciples that jumped up to carry the cross and follow him. Instead, it was Simon of Cyrene who was forced with the threat of the sword to carry it. When Jesus was dead in the tomb, the disciples were in, they were locked away. Pit, they were crying, they were weeping, pitying themselves, believing that the Christ had been defeated, that the kingdom that they had hoped for was not to come from him. And that Sunday morning when Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and she saw that it was empty, her first thought was the body was stolen. When John and Peter came to that same body, to that same tomb, they thought the body had been taken. When Mary had seen Jesus and later came to report to the disciples that she had seen him, when Cleopas and the other disciple in the road to Emmaus had seen Jesus and told the disciples they had seen him. When Peter had seen Jesus and told them. Still, 11 of them did not believe that Jesus was risen. Even though Jesus told them over and over again that he was going to be crucified and rise from the dead. And now they know it. He's risen. They are in the presence of a holy and righteous God. And they have not believed his word. They have not believed the word of those whom he had sent to them. It's almost as if Jesus anticipated their fear of what they deserved. Because the reality is, is if you think about it, all of us should quiver in the presence of God. If you do not fear the Lord, you are a fool. In fact, the book of Proverbs specifically says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because we are God's creatures created by dust. And we are the creatures who repeatedly sin. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if you're having troubles trying to figure out what sins you've committed, page 321 in that hymnal, which is a small catechism, you got the Ten Commandments. Now you might have grown up on a different translation, so you could just instinctually think of how you remember it. But it says, you shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And if you're thinking you don't struggle to covet ox or donkeys, you could replace that with cars, tractors, trucks, whatever it may be. And if that doesn't, if you can't figure out anything from that, go through the meanings. And if the meanings don't get you anywhere, go pull out your old catechism, whether it be the, bur the newer burgundy one, the old blue or the old green, and start going through those questions and answers. Look at those verses. And remember that sins are not committed only in your deed, but also in thought and in word. And so it says on page 326, which, in regards to which of these sins should we confess? He says, Luther says, consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker? Have you been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy? Have you been hot-tempered, rude, or quarrelsome? Have you hurt someone by your words or deeds? Have you stolen, been negligent, wasted anything, or done any harm? Every single one of us are poor, miserable sinners. And when we stand before a holy and righteous God, we should be quivering. We should have fear. Remember what Isaiah said when he stood in the presence of God? Woe am I, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. Chief of sinners is what Paul called himself. And we sing that hymn, Chief of sinners though I be. But as we stand before God and we stand quivering and we should be coming in humility. This is why churches traditionally have had kneelers. Then we come in prayer, it's an act of humility. That's why we have these kneelers here. When you come to the Lord's Supper, Jesus is in that bread, in that wine. So we bow, recognizing that we are in the presence of God himself in a very physical way. But see, even in the Lord's Supper, we come bowed, with our heads bowed, our knees bent, if we're physically able to bend our knees. And he says, through, that mean, through those means of grace, peace be with you. In other words, you are not at enmity with God. You are not his enemy. You are forgiven. So, the, so, God, so Jesus in this passage says, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. 
This is why in the old hymnal and in Divine Service 3, the pastor says, upon this, your confession. In other words, it's saying, assuming you are repentant of your sins. Because understand, if you are not repentant of your sin, even though you said those words, that I, I declare that I am sinful in thought, word, and deed, if you are not in repentance, your forgive, the forgiveness is not received. That is why forgiveness is withheld. That is even where, so if you ever wonder where a pastor gets the authority to withhold forgiveness or withhold the Lord's Supper from some people, Jesus gives that authority. And where does he get the authority to forgive sins? Jesus gives that authority. That is what a pastor is called to do, to forgive sins on account of what Jesus has done on the cross. And when Jesus, and when those sins are pronounced as forgiven, it is as true as if Jesus himself was speaking it to you. And it's not because the pastor is without sin. It's not because the pastor is holier than thou. In fact, the pastor wears the black shirt as a reminder to you that the pastor is a dirty, rotten, no-good sinner who deserves to die. And remember, Jesus is talking to the disciples who I just went through that were, have been bumbling the last few days and actually the last several years. And they are the ones who God has chosen to pronounce the forgiveness of sins. Now every person can do this. Every Christian can, declare, can tell the forgiveness of sins to someone. But the pastor explicitly has been chosen to do it publicly. And contrary to what we Lutherans have somehow caved in to some of the practices of other the surrounding church bodies, we do practice private confession and absolution. There's a reason, and that we are, I am planning um, at the end of May or the start of June to begin offering that every week. Because this is what the Augsburg Confession says, which we as a, all three of our churches, it's in our constitution that we promise that we abide by the Augsburg Confession. And if we didn't, we would not be a member of the Lutheran Church. If you want to go, there, the ELCA does not require it, but the Missouri Synod does demand it, and so do most confessing Lutheran churches. It says this in Article 11, Concerning confession, it is taught that private absolution should be retained and not abolished. However, it is not necessary to enumerate all misdeeds and sins, since it is not possible to do so. But notice, it should not be abolished. When Luther wrote about confession in the small catechism, he had in mind private confession and absolution. Because public confession and absolution, as we do on Sundays, did not exist at the time of Luther. It's something that emerged in the last 150 years or so, basically because people begot to, began to be too busy for private confession. 
but as something that was never supposed to be eliminated. It's not that you have to have private confession. It's that you get to. It's a gift that God has provided that you may come to the pastor. And why the pastor is a person to go to is because as a pastor, I can't go tell anyone what you confessed. Whereas if you go to any random Christian, they don't have any promise. You might talk to a gossiper and if you pick the wrong person, they might put it on Facebook, what you said. You come to the pastor knowing that nothing you say will go beyond those walls and he will forget it the minute he steps out those doors. And it's a wonderful comfort because when that forgiveness is spoken, it is as if Jesus himself spoke it. And as Luther said in regards to the Lord's Supper, where there is forgiveness of sins, there is life and salvation. From forgiveness comes life, salvation, and the bodily resurrection, which Ezekiel in that Old Testament reading foresaw. Until that day comes when the graves are opened up and we all rise to eternity. To God be all glory. Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep you in the one true faith and the life everlasting. Amen. We continue by singing the last, uh, the last few verses of that hymn.